podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello everyone, welcome back to Rival Recon here on Anfield Index Pro. As weeks go, the last seven days weren't half bad for the Reds, with wins over City, United and Everton doing little to dampen the mood of Liverpool fans across the globe. Though with all the trophies still to play for, the games continued to come thick and fast, with this run-in set to test Klopp's side thoroughly as they embark upon securing what looked like an improbable quadruple. So turning our attention back to the Premier League on today's pod, we'll be looking ahead to Sunday's game against a resurgent Newcastle United, as the Reds head to St James's Park looking to spoil their recent party whilst extending their own. So joining me on the pod to discuss the astounding turnaround from Newcastle since the turn of the year, new cult hero Bruno Gomes, and more, I'm delighted to welcome back Newcastle correspondent for The Athletic, Chris War. Welcome back, Chris. Thank you for having me back. Now, how, how's it going? Not bad, as we were just talking about ahead of the pod. Um, yeah, it would be, it'd be a weird position to be in as a football fan if I had anything to complain about at, um, at this stage, being a Liverpool fan. Um, and I'm just, yeah, just trying to, um, yeah, keep the nerves to a minimum as, um, everything's still on the table at the moment. So it's, yeah, this is that stage in a poker game, right? Where you're trying not to act like you're, you're breaking it. But, um, yeah, no, it's certainly great. And it's, 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 Obviously, great to catch up with you again. I spoke to you before, uh, sort of heading into Christmas, weren't we? Ahead of the the previous game, I think it was on the sixteenth of December. Um, and yeah, I, I wanted to go back to that just uh, actually just um, first before we sort of delve into some other topics. But what did you make of sort of how Newcastle uh, approached that the game that day? Um, and then I think just following it, I'm, I'm probably going to talk about after that game uh, and the City defeat um, straight after it. Um, just the incredible run that the team have gone on. So you'll, we'll, we'll probably move on to that afterwards. Yeah, I mean, in terms of, of, of the Liverpool game, I was at Anfield for that. And Newcastle started well um, for a team who had only won once all season and had particularly struggled on the road. Obviously, they took the lead through Shelby. I thought Sam Maximan caused some problems early on. Howard mm-hmm. decided to rest Callum Wilson. He played Sam Maximan as a sort of false nine almost, and he was very direct through the middle and got through a few times. And but for some poor finishing on his part and Allison making some good saves, Newcastle could and possibly should have got a bit further ahead. There was a, obviously then the sort of controversial first goal for for a legaliser for for Liverpool with Isaac Hayden down with a he claimed a head injury at the time, and obviously the referee played on and, and Liverpool scored. Um, and and Hayden was actually playing Jotter on side, if I remember correctly, as well. So yeah, it was a it was a shame how that that sort of went because once that goal went in, it was sort of inevitable what was going to happen. Newcastle still gave a decent account of themselves, but you just felt that Liverpool were going to go on and win it. Um, but that was one of the more encouraging early performances under how it showed that there was 
certainly off the ball work that Newcastle could mm. do to, to try and strengthen the position they're in. And then from that point on, obviously, yes, I mean, in the course of that week, they'd actually they'd lost to Leicester City 4 0 the weekend before. They then went to that went played Man City at home the following weekend and and lost four 0 and so in the in the space of three matches Newcastle conceded eleven goals and at mm. that stage you, you you were quite concerned but since then uh, the upturn has just been astonishing and um, yeah. I've written a big piece which is going out in the Athletic tomorrow sort of looking at and looking into the reasons why there's been such a dramatic turnaround not that Newcastle are going to survive but now are in a comfortable position where they're in ninth position. With four matches to go, which given that they hadn't won a game, hadn't won any of their first 14 Premier League games, and no team has ever survived in the Premier League era, right. haven't done that. They had only won once by January 21st, and yet now they've got 11 victories. They've won the last six at home. Uh, they've won the last four uh, home and away. They've won ne- uh, 10 of the last 14. Uh, in the league, they're just in such brilliant form, and the only team who betters them for form in 2022 in general is Liverpool, because Newcastle have accumulated <laughs> the second highest number of points in the in the Premier League. It's just been an absolutely staggering turnaround. Yeah, sounds like it's um sounds like it's a great time to speak to you then. Actually, yeah, if if you if, if you've just come off a sort of a mammoth session writing that um yeah writing that piece that's soon to come out around sort of yeah this remarkable turnaround, and you 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 mentioned a little bit there around. Uh, signs in the Liverpool game of some of that off the ball work was starting to take shape, and of course, I think I thought one of the most striking um, or really obvious examples was, um, was is, is obviously the transformation in how Joe Linton was played um, early on when when Howe came in and sort of tried to convert him into sort of more of a uh, combative midfielder, if that's sort of the right way to sort of talk about sort of the work that he'd been doing. Um, I, I, I suppose that's the obvious question then in terms of. Um, you mentioned those stats there around the, the, the side's form ahead of this run. Um, but then to go from, uh, as you mentioned, conceding 11 goals in those games to, um, on a remarkable run, a, a run of about what, nine games unbeaten in the Premier League. Um, I mean, what do you, what are the sort of the main reasons that you put that down to? What are the changes that you've seen how trying to, to implement? Obviously, we'll come on to talk about some of the new recruits and some of the new, I think it's fair to say cult heroes that are emerging um, at Newcastle. Uh, but yeah, in terms of Howe's involvement and, and what he's done to tr- turn this around so remarkably, um, yeah, what would you put it down to? Well, I mean, Joe Linton sort of embodies the improvement in so many players under Eddie Howe that January, as we'll get on to, w- w- was very important. And Newcastle flexed their financial muscles and that, that played a key role. But equally, that overlooks the work that Howard done beforehand and has done subsequently with players who, I mean, Joe Linton was, was let's be honest, almost a laughingstock among the Newcastle fans for, for a long period, certainly as a centre forward. It just didn't look like he was working at all in that role. He wasn't really offering anything. And yet how before he came in, it, 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 like Joe Linton from afar, he likes a physical player, someone who has those sort of attributes. And actually, it's almost by luck, well, well, certainly by, it was by, if Newcastle hadn't gone down to 10 men against Norwich City at the start of, at the end of November, sorry, and at which, at which point Howe asked Joe Linton to move into a number eight position, then he may <laughs> never have discovered that Joe Linton was number eight. He, he, he brought Joe Linton in the team, and he'd already improved, but basically as a, as a sort of right-sided forward, it was, it was almost coincidental that, that he, he moved him in that position, but then found that he was, he was this destroyer of a midfielder. He is a, He's big physical presence. He's tactically very aware. How's been very impressed with how quickly he's made that adjustment to playing in a different midfield role, and he has helped uh, really help Newcastle become more 
defensively solid across the team because this is a team who in 2021 conceded 80 Premier League goals across the calendar year. That's a, that's a Premier League record for, yeah. the, for the era. And in, in 2022 so far, they've conceded 13 and 15 games. Um, they are a team transformed in that sense and a large part of that is because they're just so solid across the pitch. Just it's on John Linton, Chris, sorry to jump in there, but, but I, I remember last time we spoke, you you were talking about a piece I think that you that you'd written or either so one of your colleagues have written as well about maybe um just the 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 level of professionalism that sort of was being seen from John Linton sort of the fact that he'd sort of gone away sort of reassessed himself a little bit tried to sort of find marginal gains improve himself um to be you know to be somebody that was valued in this squad um which which I found pretty interesting and it sort of reflects I suppose how he's how he's, he's really adapted to the, the the new challenge there um but I was I, I I was just interested in terms of sort of um, his adaptation to that role. I mean, how, how much do you put that down to sort of the the work that he's done himself? Uh, undoubtedly, that has aided all the work that that Eddie Howe has, has done with him. I mean, Joe Linton has these Zoom calls uh, and works with with data sort of analysts based in in Brazil to to really look at his own clips and work on his own game and do yeah. additional work outside the training ground. But also, Eddie Howe has brought in a heck of a lot of analysis that, that obviously there's always analysis at Newcastle United, but more, even more so how has worked individually with so many players, Joe Linton being one of them, but others who weren't even really in the team, Fabian Share, Ryan Freire, there's so many players who've improved so much and they have benefited from that sort of one-on-one coaching, that desire to improve them, to help them be better and go out on the pitch with a plan and idea of what they're trying to do. One of the big criticisms during Steve Bruce's time at Newcastle was that they lacked an identity and that sometimes players weren't entirely sure what their role was on a match day. Well, Eddie Howe doesn't leave anything like that a chance. Him and his coach and staff make sure that they know exactly what they're going to do. So, yes, Joe Litton's own work has, has certainly uh, contributed to that, but also Howe and his coach and staff deserve a heck of a lot of credit. And, and Joe Litton, I think, has helped them in the sense that they didn't need to sign a destructive midfielder in January because they almost had that. They basically discovered one from within, and someone had made them so much more solid. And what's been fascinating about Howe is that from his time at Bournemouth, they conceded 60 goals, and at least in every single Premier League season he'd been there, he was renowned for his sort of attacking football. Uh, he was not the st- when the job came up, people were looking at it myself included, someone from the outside, and thinking, well, if you're looking for someone to come in and shore up Newcastle's defence, which they undoubtedly need to do if they're going to survive, then is Eddie Howe that man? I actually asked Howe about this 10 days ago, and I said, did those perceptions that were there at the time, that you weren't the right man, what, what do you make of them? And he said, he said, well, if I was out on the outside looking in, I'd think exactly the same, because if I'd done exactly what I'd done at Bournemouth, then it wouldn't have worked at Newcastle. He used his time out from the games 15 months out to really analyse himself and he still has his, his his principles of attacking front foot football and he will he intends to progress to that over time. But he realised that in the short term there needed to be a pragmatism to the way that he was going to revive Newcastle United this season. They had to stop conceding goals and become difficult to beat. And the turnaround has been astonishing. They've gone from a team that regularly conceded, I think it was 12 occasions by Christmas that Newcastle had conceded at least two goals in a Premier League match. Since then, they've done it on one occasion. That was when they lost 5-1 at Spurs. Really, they've had a 45-minute aberration in the second half at Spurs where they've conceded a lot of goals. Otherwise, they are very difficult to play against. They've had six clean sheets this year. 
um, four in the last uh, six as well. They're just very, very hard to break down. And the attacking side of the game still needs some improvement, and that will come over time. But they've also done this without the top scorer, Callum Wilson, who's still their top scorer with six goals. He's been out since December 27th. And Kieran Trippier came in and obviously had a huge impact and has had a huge impact off the field. But he only actually played four matches before he broke his metatarsal. So Newcastle have done this mm. without some of their automatic starters in the team, which has made it even more impressive. That's no, incredibly impressive. Yeah, I think yeah, it's uh, would certainly have been my perception looking at Eddie Howe when he was appointed. That okay, yeah, yeah a promising coach, uh, a detail oriented coach, certainly a re- very professional in sort of the way in which he conducts himself. But um, yeah, I'd have those same concerns that you you raised there around sort of what you knew of that Bournemouth team and how it actually used to be um, it used to be really entertaining games. I, I remember, but often sort of the the defensive fragilities or, or maybe being a, a little bit too attacking, you wondered how that was going to translate. So the fact that he's, he's, he's been self-aware enough to, to be pragmatic, as you mentioned. I mean, how is he, how is he shaping this Newcastle side then? Sort of this, this new pragmatic Eddie Howe, um, and his Newcastle side that are defensively, um, solid. How are they lining up most weeks? Most weeks he's, he's, he's gone for a 4-3-3. So he started at Newcastle's very first game. He, he'd inherited a, uh, wing back system which he discarded after one match and he moved to a 4-4-1-1 which is a formation he'd used a lot of Bournemouth but after the Leicester game so basically before the, the match immediately before Newcastle played Liverpool last time he decided that and recognised that he needed extra bodies in midfield to try and protect Newcastle's back four and to give them uh, more solidity really so uh, that's where Joe Linton came in as as a, as a midfielder and so Whereas Bruce before him argued that Newcastle couldn't line up with the back four, uh, Howe has tried to address problems a bit higher up the pitch. And so Newcastle try to play a bit higher. They try to press off the ball. There's high intensity off the ball. They don't do it all the time, but they pick the moments and choose to do so. And so his midfield, there was a long period where that was Joe Linton, John Joe Shelby and Joe Willock. But since over the course of the last few weeks, having gradually introduced him into the side, uh, given that he was the only player without Premier League experience in Newcastle signed in January, Bruno Gimoresh has come in and is now absolutely thriving in midfield and is probably the first name on the team sheet. So he fits in there along with Joe Linton and then it, it tends to be one of, of, of John Joe Shelby or Joe Willock, and even Sean Longstaff on, on occasion is, is the midfield. Chris Wood joined in January. He plays through the middle, usually Alan St. Maximan on the left. Ryan Fraser, who's fit, will probably be on the right, but it's likely to be Miguel Almiron. And then Dan Byrne and Fabian Scher. Fabian Scher, who barely played under the previous manager uh, towards the end, are the centre-backs, with Emil Kraft likely to be the right-back, given Trippier's still out, and then Matt Target on Lord Masson Villa, a left-back, and Martin Dubravka in goal. That tends to be his strongest available eleven at the moment. Nice. Particularly interesting sort of hearing about the players that have come in from the cold sort of from the previous um from the previous manager when you mentioned sort of share there as well. And yeah, I I think when it comes to Gamera, I think we'll definitely have to be um focusing on him a little bit. Um uh in a little bit. But just looking at the team there and, and and looking at the back four, I mean even with sort of the increased solidity uh, solidity that's come from sort of the um, the steel that's been added to the midfield, sort of unexpectedly, I guess. I mean, th- that defensive unit, were you surprised by how well it's taken? Uh, I, I was, t- I am to an extent, yeah, because Fabian Scher, 
has been a lot of things at Newcastle, but being defensively solid has not been one of them during his time. Right. He's often had a, he's often had a rick in him, but he's because he's he's a very good ball playing centre back. But um, reliability was often a problem, particularly when he wasn't playing in a back three. Um, and Emil Kraft has over the last few weeks done very very well. But again, similar to Joel Linton, he was seen as a bit of a just not good enough for the Premier League. Really, he was seen as a player who just wasn't competent enough to play. Regularly, and yet he is—he's really improved under Eddie Howe. He's one of the players who, it, the, the athleticism and fitness that Eddie Howe has brought into the team. Whereas early in the season, Newcastle often struggled during the second half of matches and were outrun by teams and sort of uh, out fit the physicality that just wasn't there. Now they are one of the fittest teams in the Premier League, and very rarely do you see Newcastle struggling physically when compared. To the opposition. So Dan Byrne has come in and done very, very well. He was in very good form for Brighton, but even so, he was basically their third or fourth choice centre back, and yet has come into Newcastle and looked really at home. There's been a couple of mistakes here and there, but in general, he's just been solid. And he doesn't do anything spectacular, but he just he makes the correct decisions. It's the same with Matt Target at left back, is coming from Villa, and and I did a wrote an article last week where I asked it was a very unscientific poll, but I asked Newcastle fans. If they wanted to keep Matt Target, 97.5% of fans said they wanted to keep him. So that's how well he has done so far uh, at his time. So, yeah, it it, it it has impressed me how solid and organised they are. Because it, it, in recent weeks, it's not just that they're not conceding goals. They're very rarely conceding that many chances either. They're, certainly at St. James's Park, they're very, very difficult to play against. They're very good at making the opposition uh, struggle to play their own game. Uh, it's not... That's not something that's necessarily easy to do and Newcastle aren't always easy on the eye when they play at St James's but they are very that they don't let the opposition have all the attempts that they previously would have done and to, for that turnaround from the team that was there in the first half of the season to now no I, I, I really didn't see that coming even with the January editions yeah and no, I think it's um, it's yeah, remarkable is the word for sort of the turnaround given some of the data that was that you'd be mentioning at the start as well around the form that you found the side in and sort of the form that Eddie Howe found the side in, certainly. And so you say Dan Byrne is the leader there at the back, you'd say, in terms of sort of the figurehead. I think so, yeah. He's seen as, as almost being like a future Newcastle captain, potentially, right, okay. or one of, the, one of the many leaders. One of the things Howe wanted in January as well, as Premier League experience, was he wanted to bring more leaders into the dressing room. He wanted to have, and, and they brought that in Kieran Trippier, in Dan Byrne, to an extent, Matt Target in a different sort of way. Chris Wood as well, all experienced, all strong voices in the dressing room. And Dan Byrne certainly at the back is just someone, he's just cool and composed. And that's what Newcastle needed. They now don't look like the panic um, in situations when previously they probably would have done. And we've spoken, I think, many times around sort of, uh, I think in some of the darker days around um, when the club felt a little bit as though it was drifting um, and at times sort of different cup competitions not even prioritised and so sort of fans questioning that of course and in terms of questioning the ownership as well um, in, in terms of the general atmosphere around the club I'm, I'm guessing it's as as good as it's been um, given this sort of recent upturn in results um, and I, I just wanted to ask was there was there a particular moment is there a particular match that you look at in this in this really positive run that you think well that's symptomatic actually of what Eddie Howe would want this Newcastle uh, team to be uh, in terms of how they play on the pitch and how they, how they represent his um, his principles. But then also, is there a game that you sort of look at and go, well, that's that's, that's probably the best um, uh, atmosphere I can remember at Newcastle for many, many years? In terms of the game that typifies 
where Newcastle are under Howe and the sort of direction they're trying to, to travel in. I think probably the second half of a 3-1 victory over Everton in, in February, right. where they really took control of the match. They were very good, created a lot of opportunities, were still defensively solid, but also were pressing high, winning the ball high, creating a lot of opportunities and were good in possession because that's not something they've been even under how for large spells. They've struggled to retain the ball as and recycle the ball as well as you would expect of, a, of maybe an Eddie Howe side, certainly from, from his Bournemouth days, and that's been a long-term problem at Newcastle. So I'd say that when they really they really put on a performance that they needed. Kieran Trippier was in the side. They were very, very strong from set pieces. They created chances. Norton played Alan Sam Maximan played very, very well. I think that is the closest that we've seen in terms of where the direction of travel, at least, at how wants to take them in. They've been more about being solid in recent weeks. And in terms of atmosphere, I'd say that one, but also the very end of, of, of when Newcastle beat Leicester City uh, 2-1 a couple of weekends ago. Bruno Guimaraes scored 95th oh, yeah. minute equaliser. For large parts, actually, the crowd was quite quiet that day, or relative to how it's been, but just the scenes at the end were just extraordinary. And that was carried through into when they beat Crystal Palace 1-0 that midweek as well. That Every single home match at St. James's now feels like an occasion for Newcastle, whereas previously, certainly under the previous ownership and to a large extent under the previous manager, matches were, you'd have a lot of fans who were sort of turning up because it's what they did on a weekend. And in many ways, it was almost like that the 90 minutes of football was the worst part of the day. It was more about the experience of the entire day, whereas now fans are turning up, war flag displays are back, which are the displays in the Gallagher end, but actually have moved to all the way around the ground now as well. And there's just a buzz around the place and excitement. People want to be inside St. James's Park again. And Dan Byrne is a former season ticket holder at Newcastle, and he speaks <laughs> about the atmosphere being similar to when he used to go and watch Newcastle in the Champions League under Sir Bobby Robson play Juventus and Milan. And, and even within the club, you speak to some people, and someone said to me the other day that if it, do, it does have that similar sort of feeling in terms of everyone being together. Eddie Howe has been keen to build unity, both internally, but also um, throughout the club in general, to have everyone on the same page. And it does feel for the first time in a long time that everyone has had the same goals at Newcastle once the takeover happened and once Eddie Howe was there, rather than there being this sort of internal fighting between the owners and, and fans and the manager, the the goal was survival and everyone has, has focused on that. That's nobody is nobody there hasn't been division internally and, and it, it as cliched as it might sound, it is a very powerful thing at a club like Newcastle, just as it can be at a at a club like Liverpool where the fans are so connected with the football club and they have that sort of um, symbiotic relationship. That's definitely been the case over the last few months and every single home match. And I expect the atmosphere to be absolutely electric on Saturday again. Yeah, I've got no doubts. And there's, yeah, there's, there's nothing quite like, um, I mean, a last minute goal always does wonders for the atmosphere, but sort of a last minute goal that's a diving header as well is always, uh, is always one that sort of gets people going. And so I think it's, um, it's probably the best time to sort of, um, um, move on to talk about Bruno Gomeric and just, uh, as you mentioned, sort of Eddie Howe being you know, careful with sort of how he integrated him into the side. Obviously the big money signing, lots of excitement around, um, how he would do sort of his, his talent. How would that translate to, to, to the Premier League? How would that translate to Newcastle? Um, just what have you made of him? And for, for folks who had, had never heard anything about him in terms of sort of what he's like as a player, could you, could you just sort of sum up what his games are all about? Well, 
in January, when Newcastle were trying to complete the deal, I spoke to 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 a couple of scouts who'd watched them extensively, and they sort of ex- they described him as a number six plus. And by that, what they meant was that he can play the deep lying role in midfield, but can also play as a number eight. And basically, he has a bit of everything as a midfielder. He's not box to box, but he brings so much to to the game. He, he's very very good at playing the deep Ryan role in terms of bringing teammates into play, loves a through ball, very good at switching play quickly. But then he also is he, he's also very good defensively in terms of is is the the amount of defensive actions that he contributes for a player of his technical ability and his vision is, is rare. Um so he basically tops all the stats just about in just about every department. And since he's been at Newcastle, he's he's risen to the to the top of those charts in terms of touches, uh, passes, tackles, interceptions, everything. He's just involved in every single sort of way. And and Howe was very brave in many ways to to ignore the hype around him when he first came in. And Howe obviously really, really likes him and wanted him. But there was so much hype from Newcastle fans, and there was a few occasions when at St. James's when he was on the bench and Newcastle fans would chant for Bruno's name and how didn't just just play to the crowd and put him on when fans wanted him to. He would pick and choose his moments. In the first few matches, he was only getting sort of five, ten minutes here and there. Gradually built it up, gave him his first start at Southampton. He scored an absolutely outrageous backheel flick um, and controlled the game. And then he made his first start at St. James's against Leicester City, scores twice. Um, one of which is a, is a he reacts very quickly to put it through Schmeichel's legs when Schmeichel doesn't deal with the ball properly. The second one, that dive and header, and then he he provides an assist as well, and then also goes and scores um, a cheeky dink over Tim Krull at Norwich City last week. Again, this is a player who had only scored three goals for Leon in two years, and he's come to Castle and scored four already. He's played as number eight more regularly, but against Norwich, he moved back to the number six position. Um, he's happy playing either. I think he prefers playing number eight because he can get sort of up and down the pitch and provide uh, a bit more offensively. But he just looks a class above everyone at Newcastle. The, the way that he's come in, he's raised levels around him, and he can see he's almost one step ahead of some of his teammates. And he just is such a classy player, technically excellent. Someone who grew up playing futsal, and you can see that in his game. If anyone hasn't seen his goal against Norwich, Tim Krull. Uh, kicks the ball out to the edge of his area. It's a terrible pass, but Bruno Gimmerish manages to get in front of the Norwich defender, and he sort of rolls the ball with his studs on the bottom of his foot, which is a which is a way that he controls the ball quite often. It's unusual that you see that in eleven-a-side football, but it's the way he controls it in the box to then perfectly set himself to dink the goalkeeper. He has such technical skill and such vision. And he's also very brave on the ball and, and willing to, to put it all in defensively. I realise I'm sounding quite hyperbolic, but actually the, what he brings <laughs> has just been huge. Newcastle have not had a player like this in a long, long time. And there is so much excitement about him. And I think it will only grow because he knows he's good. He, he's brash. He, show, he shows that out on the pitch as well. But he, he also puts in the hard yards and, 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 and does deliver. And, and so far, what, what he's delivered in Newcastle shirt has been quite astonishing, to be honest. Yeah, no, uh, from the sort of the, the time that Coutinho spent at the club, I mean, yeah, any time that you get, uh, 
you get a footballer at the club that's had a history of playing futsal. It's you you generally see about three or four things every game that are very very uh, entertaining. To be honest, even if it's all sort of basic aspects of control and things like that. But um, if you were, you mentioned that there's not been a player like him at Newcastle for a long time. And if if you were to try and draw a comparison to a player um, in, in Newcastle's past, who would you say is most most like him? I mean, in terms of the ability to pick a pass, possibly Johan Kabai, but he's got more to his game th- th- than Johan Kabai did. Johan Kabai was a very good player for Newcastle. I'd probably say the closest, although he wasn't as technically gifted as as, as Bruno Gimmers is, but in terms of being a sort of all-round footballer, maybe Rob Lee in the 90s. But I'm not sure there is necessarily someone comparable in terms of same skill set, in terms of what they can bring and in terms of controlling a game, yeah, probably Rob Lee, but I, I think that they're, they're still different players. I've not really seen someone like uh, Bruno Gomes because I think he is I think he is a unique player, or fair, certainly he's a rare player in terms of all of the different aspects he can bring. That's why there were so many teams looking at him in January. Newcastle sort of leapfrogged quite a few teams because I think a lot were looking to sign him this summer. But Newcastle managed to get him through the door, and if he's a glimpse of the future that Newcastle United have and the, the kind of player that they're looking at, then then the future does look very exciting indeed. And just moving back to Eddie Howe for a second, it, it, you, you spoke a little bit about some of the things that he's brought to to the team, sort of the, the different tactical approach, the fact that he's been a bit more pragmatic himself in terms of sort of how he he typically had lined up his uh, his teams in the past. Um, I, there was a lot riding on this for for him. I felt in terms of sort of he'd been out of the game for a while. I think people were starting to question necessarily his his reputation, sort of given how things had ended with Bournemouth, um, despite the fantastic work that he did there. Uh, I'm just uh, interested how you think he's he, he's he's handled everything, given that the fact that he he was going to have to handle uh, the on the pitch chaos <laughs> um, at times in terms of get, getting the team uh, back united, believing in sort of the the project, integrating the new signings, as you mentioned, getting them fitter, but then also having to deal with those questions about um, the the off pitch concerns around the ownership. Um, that I think it's, it's it's pretty clear those those questions will keep coming, uh, and he's he's had, he's had to field them as well. I mean, how, how how do you think he's done sort of overall in terms of sort of the the job that he's had since he joined in November? I think he's done very very well. It, it did take him. Um maybe a couple of months to really find his feet. He was always impressive when he spoke, but it was maybe sort of middle to end of January where you suddenly felt that he felt comfortable in, in the position, having gone from Bournemouth, who, no disrespect to Bournemouth, are just, it's not the, you don't have the same pressures that you do at Newcastle United. There's not the same scrutiny. There's not the same interest. And you could see that at first, Eddie Howe was still adjusting to how much scrutiny there was and how many questions there would be and to the social media activity. But he has grown into that. And with all the other, with obviously how impressive his coaching has been and the integration of January signings, but also in January, he had to act almost as like a, a de facto director of football because Newcastle didn't have one in place. So he was very, very active during January. And this is someone who's work-obsessed anyway, so basically he doesn't have a spare minute as it is, and he'd taken on an additional role to make sure that he got what Newcastle needed to be able to survive, or he felt that they needed to, to make sure they were going to survive. In terms of the the difficult off-field questions, that's something which he could have handled better, and he, he should have addressed it more in his... In his, in his uh, at his unveiling, he was also asked about it on other occasions and sort of said, I'll only talk about football, and didn't deal with it particularly well he opened up a little bit more afterwards and sort of explained why he didn't want to go into it. 
to a lot of people, those answers still won't be satisfactory and those questions will still be asked and, and rightly so in many ways, although it's very difficult because how, how, how and what can he answer for, for them? It's not, he's not the ultimate owners of, of Newcastle United. Those questions probably need to go higher. Um, and so in that sense, yes, and he will always, no matter what he says and answer those questions, he's always he's always going to receive criticism. So he's tried to, to just focus on the football and, and if you're looking at the footballing aspect of things, um, I, there's very little you can complain about in terms of what he's done and how he's handled himself because uh, the turnaround has been astonishing and Newcastle fans rightly are, are lauding the job that he's done. And you mentioned as well some, some of the players that he's he's he, he's been able to not resuscitate their careers, but sort of you know bring them back into the fold, you know, build up their confidence again. And not that these players necessarily needed it, but I'm looking at sort of the lineup. Um, um, so a couple of games ago, I'm, I'm looking at figures like Shelby, um, Miguel Almiron, of course, who arrived for a lot of money, but um, yeah, had, had had struggled to really make the impact in terms of sort of being able to score goals and um, actually have have end product despite sort of his uh, his 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 willingness. Certainly, say Maximan had already been um, a uh, um, a crowd favourite, I think, adored by <laughs> all Newcastle fans. I mean, those three players. I'm interested, sort of, how they've integrated into um, his team. Because Shelby, again, a player who would had plenty of ups and downs and sort of questions about his, um, you know, his his desire, I suppose. Um, and then Almiron, who arrived, you know, in, in in those unique circumstances, as I mentioned, for big money. And say Maximan, who was you know, supposedly at times towards the end of Steve Bruce's um, reign, it's just, the, the tactics did often look as simple as, well, we, we just got, somehow got to work it into situations where, where we can get the ball to St. Maximan because he is everything for us. How is how is he um, dealing with not necessarily having all that all that pressure on him anymore? Sorry, I know, I know there's a bunch of questions in there. <laughs> I mean, if we tackle Shelby first, Shelby was someone who, when Eddie Howe first came in, a lot of Newcastle fans, I think, thought that, that Shelby would be moved on. But how made a point in his first press conference, and how doesn't really go off message? And if he does, he has a reason for doing it, and he's thought about it. And he mentioned Shelby of his own accord and said how important Shelby was going to be as a player because he wanted to address it quite early on. And he has brought something out of John Joe Shelby that for large parts of his time at Newcastle hasn't really been seen. He's made Shelby fitter. He's made him defensively very strong. He'd be impressive defensively. He's always obviously had the technical ability and the, and the, the ball-playing ability to to get Newcastle higher up the pitch to to create those to to play those true balls, but what he's bringing in an all round capacity hadn't been seen in Newcastle shirt before. And Shelby himself talks about his sort of reinvention under how and how much he's enjoying working under someone who is looking at the the individual aspects of what he brings. So Shelby's had a, a real renaissance and is now adored. But well, he was always valued by Newcastle fans, but there was always that other side to it, is seen as being lazy because of his body language. But actually now out on the pitch, you can't question what he brings in terms of commitment and, and, and work ethic. Miguel Almiron's had a bit more of an up and down time. He's been in and out of the side. He probably wouldn't be in the strongest 11, or at least wouldn't be when Ryan Fraser was playing well. He scored a very good goal against Crystal Palace. It was his first goal in 34 games, I think, 34 league matches. So he is... Still brings a heck of a lot off the ball, but there's question marks about his future in terms of what he can bring offensively. How really likes him, likes what he can bring in terms of his work ethic and his desire. But Almiron's probably one of the players who actually suffered in terms of game time, if not the fact that when he does play, he does look like he brings more than he did previously. He's just not quite been in the starting eleven as much. Sam Maximan again is a, is 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 an interesting one because. 
in-house, off-the-ball structure. Everyone has a role and everyone has to to commit to 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 being part of that structure. The only one who has a, this, who's made exceptions for is Alan Saint Maximan, who he does try and do his off the ball work, but it's not something he's natural at. So Chris Wood, as the centre forward, quite often covers the left hand side, and and actually having Joel Linton and Matt Target as 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 the left side as well, basically covers for the defensive deficiencies of Alan Saint Maximan and allows Alan Saint Maximan to have that freedom. To go forward, there've been some very good performances in there, like the second half against Everton. Either side of Christmas, he contributed a lot against Man United as well. But his form has been up and down, and that's been because of injuries and fitness concerns. And a few fans have now started to question what is his role in the team because of his off the ball work. But how recognizes that Newcastle going forward are still limited. They still need Sam Maxman's ingenuity, his ability to carry the ball, his ability to create space for others. And so he's a very important member of the team, but he hasn't necessarily flourished under Howe in the same way that some of the other players have. He was always very important to Newcastle and remains so, but but maybe not quite as uh, singularly important as he was previously under Steve Bruce. And I know Howe's um, sort of been at pains to talk about the fact that there's not going to be some sort of um, crazy summer window sort of revolution, I think was the phrase that he, uh, he, he used in terms of bringing, um, you know, world class players from around the world in, um, all in one window or, or anything like that. But in terms of the, the, the areas of the team where you think will be the obvious targets for the summer for him to address, um, where are those? Striker is definitely the, is the priority. Newcastle's mm. top scorer has been out yeah. since. December and he has a patchy injury record as it is. Chris Wood, although Howe has praised him and has even d- described him as as, as having been uh, fantastic, he's only brought two goals and they really do need a, a, a greater source of goals. They could do with more from midfield as well. They tried to sign Jesse Lingard in, in January. I do think they'll look for another offensive midfielder, wide forward as well. And then also an, another centre-back. I think they're going to be the key areas really for them. Excuse me, sorry, that they are looking to to bring in sort of three, four, five maybe who will hopefully come in and approve the first team, not just squad players as they maybe did previously. They're looking for quality now and it's not they need to get rid of a lot of players because when all their senior players return from loan, they already have three on the books at St James's who aren't out on loan, who aren't in the twenty five man squad. I think it goes up to about thirty four players with those who are out on loan. So they need to do a lot of moving out. But in terms of incomings, I think, yeah, three or four, but Strega definitely the priority. No, certainly. I think, yeah, it's, uh, in terms of the, the, the type of striker as well, is there, is there, is there a particular mold that you think that will be targeted? I think they're looking for a sort of all round type striker in terms of someone who could maybe play anywhere across the front line, but brings a right. few of the different aspects of, um, that you would see in a sort of modern striker, someone who can run the channels, can hold it up a little bit, but isn't really a sort of target man, brings goals, not necessarily someone who's going to score 30 goals a season, although that would be wonderful, but someone who can bring other players into play and can be that sort of central focal point up front as well as being adaptable going forward. So that they've looked at certain players, they really like Darwin Nunes, but obviously so many other clubs do, and he's basically intimated that he wants to go to a Champions League club, they, they tried to, they made at least tentative overtures in January, and we'll hope when they might get him in the summer, but I just can't see that happening, so they, who they do end up signing will be fascinating to see, because so many clubs are looking at strikers this summer, and how far Newcastle's budget stretches, and how much of a pull they can be 
compared to the sides they're going to try and challenge for certain players is the is, is as of yet unknown and will be fascinating to see. No, certainly will. And then uh, just just one final question before we wrap things up. I mean, uh, the the Newcastle side that you've described there, and sort of this um, rigid, sort of defensively solid side that can um, really sort of reduce the number of chances a team can can have against them. Um, it sounds like Liverpool are going to have a, 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 a have had an interesting three games by the time this weekend's sort of finished because uh, we've had Everton doing their best um, sort of Atletico uh, impersonation in, in the derby. Um, but without sort of the attacking threat to go with it or any possession really, and then then there was, uh, or tonight rather, there's Villarreal, um, who I imagine are going to be an even more organised version of that with some punch as well. <laughs> and then it sounds like on the weekend we could well have a a similar sort of um, showing from from Newcastle in terms of how they approach the game. Is 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 that how you how do you expect how to approach um, a game against Liverpool at home with that great atmosphere like you mentioned and the side playing so well? Yeah, I mean, I watched Everton and I was impressed with them defensively in many ways, but I think Newcastle will, will offer a tougher test than that because Newcastle are used to playing with uh, in terms of without the ball and are used to being defensively rigid. That's not to say Newcastle won't create opportunities because they will try and press high on occasion and win the ball off Liverpool. They will want to impose themselves on the match and how will be targeting it is, is a win. He doesn't, He won't go into it. He obviously isn't going to be gung ho, but he's not going to go into the match just just thinking we could just contain Liverpool. There will still be a plan that we can contain to try and, and win the game as, as as long as the odds may be on that. I mean, the one question about Newcastle is now they've moved on to forty three points. That their, their objective for the season basically is is already done. Will that lead to a sort of one or two percent drop off psychologically? And and will that then mean that, that Liverpool can take advantage of that? We didn't see it at Norwich, although until Newcastle scored and then Norwich basically fell apart as a team, you could just see we're going to go down. Newcastle weren't really dominant. They they weren't quite at the levels they were before. They stepped it up once they scored. But I think that given that it's Liverpool coming to St James's, given what's at stake for, for Liverpool and the, the size of the occasion, given the crowd behind them, Newcastle have only lost once at St James's under Eddie Howe. They've won their last six there. It will be a very difficult occasion, I think, for Liverpool. I wouldn't be fancying it if I was Liverpool going up to St James's on Saturday, particularly having had to battle away through the Everton game and then against what will likely be a battle against Villarreal tonight. Newcastle will certainly give them a test. It will it will be interesting to see how far this Newcastle side has come, how how they are able to take sides on because they went to Chelsea a few weeks ago mm. and for the first time in a long while at a sort of top four club Newcastle gave them a really really good game and were very unlucky to lose that one decisions went against them I think that they will believe in that they can cause an upset at Liverpool this weekend I certainly think that they'll fancy them their chances of, of getting at least a point so if I was Liverpool and I'm looking at the last few Premier League fixtures this yeah. is the one I think I'd be a bit concerned about I'm, I'm I'm hoping that uh, those uh, those focuses really go into the game on the uh, the, the 8th of May. Personally, I have to admit, <laughs> so, obviously that's where my my focus lies. Yeah, no, I think yeah, we were talking about the schedule right at the start of the pod, and uh, yeah, if, if Liverpool are going to win things, they they're going to have to do it. You know, the, the the hard way with the schedule in terms of going through um, some some really really tough, well organised teams. I think actually in this run in. Um, is 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 there just just before we do wrap up everything up? Is is there one area where you where you look at? I mean, I mean obviously this Liverpool team is performing very well, but is there a particular player or anything like that you, that you look at and go, well, actually that's or particular area of the pitch that you, that you think is going to be the most 
uh, important for Newcastle to sort of try and neutralise. I think Newcastle need to get control of the the game and field. That's where they've stifled the opposition in in, in recent months. And if they can stop, say if Thiago plays, they can stop Thiago Mm -hmm. managing to get those round-the-corner balls through. If they can stop the service early to the front line and and basically stop Liverpool playing the way that Liverpool want to play, then that, that will be crucial. So, yeah, Newcastle's midfield has to function. That's where all of their strength really comes from. And if they can do that, then they have... The platform, certainly from set-pieces, Newcastle's set-piece record and Eddie Howe is very good at scoring from set-pieces. So they will have opportunities to, 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 to try and disrupt Liverpool in those departments. So yeah, just get them in field right. And if they do that, then, then Liverpool are in for a very tough game. Yeah, and no, I, w- I, w- I would expect Thiago to, to play that game. Actually, I think that he'll, he'll probably be rotated out tonight along with Keita, um, who both played the Derby and then, and then the United game. Um, so yeah, I, w- I, w- I wouldn't be surprised to see, to see those two line up uh, St. James's Park. Great to see Thiago playing at St. James's Park, actually. <laughs> he's, he's experienced some interesting atmospheres over the past few weeks. So that's going to be, um, that's going to be a fun one for him as well. But uh, anyway, Chris, as always, thank you, like, for all the great insight into, into Newcastle. And it's actually just, um, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure it's a breath of fresh air for you, but it's just, um, much more enjoyable to be talking about sort of, um, these sorts of issues and sort of how the side's progressing than, than, than some of the conversations we've had to have over the past, um, the past few times that we've spoken as well. So yeah, thank you as always for coming on. No pleasure. Thanks for having me on. And just to wrap things up here, guys, so all the, all of you have been listening to, to Rival Recon here on Anfield Index Pro. As, as you would have heard me and Chris talk about the run in, uh, games coming thick and fast now th- towards the end of the season. Uh, and it's going to be, it's going to be made tough if we are going to be winning the, uh, the trophies that are you know, luckily still on the table. So uh, do stay with us. And of course, uh, I'll be back again after the uh, the Newcastle game, focusing on uh, uh, Liverpool's uh, another tough test, let's face it, um, up against Tottenham Hotspur on the 7th of May. So join us then for another episode of Rival Recon. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.